we're continuing with the series Into the Noise, following Jesus into challenging places. When Josh and Graham put this series to those of us on the preaching roster, the focus was rightly and intentionally on the out there world that everyone sitting here this morning um, inhabits and the challenges faced in those places. For some, you're out there, might be challenges in the home life or in interpersonal relationships. For others, you're out there, might be challenges in the workplace or place of learning. The noise might be the ambient noise of an alien world. We are strangers to this world. We're passing through. And the alien world sometimes has a very loud noise. It's seen in billboards and uh, social media and rampant materialism and so on. The noise might be audible, as when differing opinions on all kinds of hot-button hot issues move from conversation to a loss of gentility. And the noise might even be the inaudible noise of soul-sapping environments. We have followed Christ into the out-there noise for the past weeks. This is the final Sundays in the series and we are going to turn our focus from out there to in here. And you should ask me why, and I'm going to tell you why. When we walk through that door and into this community of believers, we bring the noise of our stories with us, consciously or unconsciously. So here's the expanded title. <laughs> through the noise created by each other's stories following Jesus into the challenging places in which we find ourselves when fellowship is impacted by a story that happened elsewhere. And just in case you're wondering why I think I'm qualified to share this, I attended my first open-air meeting at two weeks of age and I've never left church since. <laughs> Obviously, we bring the stories of our lives with us when we come to church, the stories of our upbringing and all kinds of things around that, our failures, our successes and so on. But let's consider this, that we also bring the stories of our past church experiences with us. And this is particularly relevant if you've come to faith in Christ somewhere else. And now we are here and everything that we enjoyed or endured in past church experiences has come with us. In recent years, we've used the word trigger. That is, we might be having a, a perfectly nice time in church, in the service or in conversation. Then something is said or done that creates an uninvited reaction that the pastor or the other person may never know about. That is, what was said or done triggered a less than welcome reaction. My mentor described it as hooks. If I ever had a reaction to anything, not a response, there is a difference. If I had a reaction, she'd call it a rise. So a reaction, a response like this is, really? A reaction is, hmm? So there's a kind of a depth to a reaction. She was not so much interested in what it was than in what was still in me that the matter had hooked into. The noise of our past church experience can create challenging places into which we need to 
follow the footsteps of Christ. And there's just one more thought in this introduction. Let's say we get to church 40 times a year. Let's say. Should be more. That's just me. But let's say 40 times a year. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Signing on. Um, And we get 30 minutes of teaching. That means that Cornerstone Ministry, this thing here, you get 20 hours a year. I probably listen to 20 hours of podcasts or ministry in a fortnight. In other words, our spiritual formation can be significantly impacted by influences that aren't here. That is not a bad thing. But it means that this, this must mean something in our lives beyond a 30-minute sit and listen. It must include all those conversations and interactions that we call fellowship. And those conversations and interactions may be affected by voices that have nothing to do with Graham or Dwayne or Josh or Chris or the people of Cornerstone. So I'm going to illustrate this a little bit. So um, I'd forgotten this story until it came to me in preparation. So for many years, our family attended Garden City Christian Church. In the early years of us being there, we became aware of a large community, a glob of people, uh, maybe there were 15, 20, who'd come en masse from a cult church. And they came into Garden City and they enjoyed the freedom in worship. They just enjoyed Garden City. Fast forward many years, our family were there during um, the passing over of the baton to the fifth pastor. We were there for five pastors. And the baton handled to a man who needed the congregation to respond in certain ways. And he hadn't been there long when one Sunday morning he said, remember this group had come from a cult. He hadn't been there long one Sunday morning he said, the problem with this church is it carries a spirit of opinion. Now in a cult you're not allowed to have opinions. You do what you're told. That group up and left and never came back. He spoke into an experience or a story that he had nothing to do with. I'm still going to try and explain this to you a little more. So it was either earlier this year or late last year when I was standing right here doing what I'm doing now and I had the clicker in one hand like this. And every time, so I had the microphone, I had the clicker and every time I made a point, I felt the need to extract one digit and stick it to you. And I chose my middle finger. I didn't know I'd chosen my middle finger (laughs) until I'm in the car on the way home. And Lizzie says, and I hope she said I did okay, but let's say she didn't. She just said, Mum, you preached most of that message with your middle finger stuck out at us. (laughs) Now, that happened. That is a truth. That happened. I've not made that up. Now I'm going to make up three responses. So these responses are completely made up. They're extreme. They're just made up. Have I said that enough? All right, so let's say I had come from what I'd call an hyper-genderfied church where, you know, the women were just highly feminine, highly feminized, and, you know, the men, you know, I don't know, rode their Harleys and 
ate, ate dinosaur meat with their bare hands. I don't know. But, you know, it was kind of like out there. And so somebody comes to me, a man or a woman, and they say something like, well, that was an okay message, but I was a bit distracted by the fact you stuck your middle finger out at me the whole time. The rise in me, if I've come from a place like that, is I've got to, I'm speaking to, about joy, not just a pretend person. This is me. If I've come from one of those highly feminized churches or highly genderfied churches, I'm going to have a highly feminized response. I'm a woman. I've been holding a microphone. I've just been caught out. So I've got to have a response that fits that whole thing. It'll be something like, you know, thank you. Thank you so much for correcting that. Um, I'm just so grateful the boys let me share. (laughs) (laughs) If I've come from a heavily Bible-based church, I'm using extreme examples to make the point. If I've come from a church where the word has been sovereign but also weaponized, and you say that to me, whether I think it or say it, my response, my rise might be, well, you know, under the pure, all things are pure, and under them who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. (laughs) And if I come from a church that's been heavily culture-based, where behaviors were quite prescriptive, and you say that to me, whether I say it or think it, the rise in me is, the problem is you, you have a critical spirit. Can you see how we don't just come with nothing in us into fellowship? We come with a lot of stories behind us. So I realise I've taken the engine and the carriages way past the station with those cartoonish examples. But I hope you get the idea that when we get past niceties and into anything that might be heart deep, We might find ourselves conversing with someone's yesterday or they are conversing with ours. And it might go brilliantly because their yesterday and our yesterday has equipped both of us with wonderful wisdom levels and a wonderful ability to have a great conversation or it might go horribly wrong because their yesterday and our yesterday has left one or both of us injured. Sometimes we converse with people besides still waters and green pastures and sometimes it's beside raging torrents. I have a very funny friend who this has been a conversation. G'day, I say her name, how are you? She goes, g'day mate. Sometimes you're the fly, sometimes you're the windscreen. (laughs) I think that's relevant. So the question that is wise to ask is this. What is the heavenly salve? that should permeate every gathering, every conversation, every relationship that is so potent that no matter the noise and the challenge created by that noise, fellowship is never broken. And to answer that, I'm going just for the next couple of minutes to yesterday's manner. I checked my notes. I had forgotten I'd done so, but I actually preached this. This is a little part of a message I preached in April um, 2021. Um, And it came out of a message I'd preached for Murray a few years before that. So it's kind of, you know, old manner. But I think it's still good. 
So Murray had asked me to preach on Philippians 2 as part of a series. So to prepare for that message, I read all of, obviously, all Philippians. That's what we people up here do, that kind of thing. Read it and read it and then read my chapter. Um, And what I felt to do was list the characteristics in that chapter. Don't worry about trying to read it. The characteristics in that chapter that signify kingdom values in the life of the believer. And I came up with 17 kingdom values. The only one I'm going to point out to you right now is that in there is the attitude of Christ, which is servanthood. So that was one value out of 17 that I felt, that I found in Philippians 2, that would be good for us to, to have in our lives. So the question that seemed obvious to me was this. Out of that 17, was there a starting point or was there an undergirding quality that would sustain the others? In other words, if I had that one, I'd get the others. And again, I'm looking for this balm of Gilead. I'm looking for this heavenly salve. What is it that makes fellowship work? So what I did, I cross-referenced, obviously subjectively, um, but I cross-referenced with that question, what do we need to activate from that whole list in order to achieve each characteristic. And I assumed, I started out assuming that having the attitude of Christ would emerge as the top pick. But only 12 characteristics needed me to have the attitude of Christ, whereas 14 needed humility. Think about it. And it will make so much sense for humility to be the number one starting point And when I was looking for humility, I found that and I thought, that speaks, doesn't it? Have a good look and I'll pause, give you long enough, park my ADD for a minute. There we go. You've looked. The scripture there that puts a frame and reference to it is um, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. In other words, the undergirding characteristic of somebody who wants to be like Christ is humility because it was Christ's own undergirding characteristic. I do listen, as I said, to um, podcasts and one that I love listening to is a Canadian. His name is Kerry Newhoff and he gets to interview some extraordinary people and a great range of people. So I love the fact that it's not just a rabbit hole kind of um, podcast. And three times he's interviewed Gordon MacDonald. If you don't know that name, in 1984, Gordon MacDonald came to fame with a book called Ordering Your Private World. And it certainly impacted me greatly. I read it within a couple of years of it being published. He's now a man of about 82 or 83. Um, And uh, he also had a very, very public fall from grace. Um, a, a moral failure was exposed and the process by which he put himself through was A, public, B, honest, C, transparent, D, um, have run, I'm running out of good things to say, aren't I? Um, and out of that, 
the, the process which was done with great integrity um, and great wisdom uh, caused him to write another book and he actually is very open in one of these three podcasts. Uh, somebody who reached out to him was Bill Clinton um, and he ministered in the White House to Bill Clinton many times during that whole story. So a remarkable man, a statesman. And um, he said, I've got a few things from him now because I think that's wisdom that I, I can't, um, I don't have, but he does. First of all, he said, in, in regard to fellowship, now particularly he was talking to leaders, but I think it's for everyone, that when we come together for fellowship, there are five, he believes, five key points of communication that need to be common. Thank you. I'm sorry. Well done. I forgive you. And how can I help? I thought you'd like that. But what I want to do this morning is pick up on these two. I'm sorry and I forgive you. He went on to say, Christianity is a religion about repentance. Now, this is what you've got on screen. Repentance infers total transparency, humility, a recognition of powerlessness, and the need, this is so profound, I'm still grappling with it, and the need for there to be a forgiver who closes the transaction. Isn't that unbelievable? You can chew on that for a long time. Repentance is the most important single event in the life of a person who chooses to follow Christ. These are still Gordon MacDonald's words. And then there must be a place where we can repent. The church ought to be a place where people's repentance is honoured and responded to. And yet church is one of the last places where one would want to, want to repent because people don't respect the privilege of transparency. Wow. Maybe one of the reasons gossip is talked about in the Bible is because it's one of the few places where people might actually want to talk about the darkness of their souls. If you want community, it is not only to bless people in their finest moment, it also takes responsibility when someone fails. Church is where we give thanks and say, I acknowledge my sinfulness. Brilliant. So how do we follow Christ into the challenges within our own hearts created by the noise of our past church experiences? How do we follow Jesus into the places we might face with another because of the noise of their own past church experiences? And then, of course, there's the age-old factor of just our human hearts, the kind of noise our human hearts can have on fellowship. Is the answer to those questions as simple as follow Jesus? Let's look at the scripture one more time. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. It is worth pushing past any noise, never to ignore it, but to allow our love of God and each other to settle 
that noise in our souls. A sense of belonging, of fellowship is the greatest gift that we can give each other. Charles Spurgeon said, and I love this, I've written it in my prayer journal, faith is our walk, but fellowship, sensibly felt, is our rest. And earlier this year, Josh, I don't know if this was original to you, but you were the one who said it, and I've also written it in my prayer journal, that fellowship creates a temple in time. Wow. There is surely something divine and holy about heart-to-heart fellowship. Would the worship team and those serving communion please come and get ready? I put the Last Supper on as the last slide. Not everything was perfect at that first communion. There was noise in the room because of a story that hadn't been redeemed, but Jesus took communion anyway. In here will never be perfect because we are people, but we take communion anyway.